Well, something historic has happened. It's historic. I am speaking today on healthy conflict resolution, and Jill and I have not had a disagreement all week long. Now, yeah, you can clap for that because I'm, I'm celebrating that. And here's why that's historic, because normally whatever I'm going to talk about on the weekend, we have to deal with during the week. And so I was assuming that we would be having all sorts of conflicts to resolve this week. I'm not kidding. Usually we have to deal with whatever I'm talking about on the weekend. So in the next two weekends, we'll be talking about parenting. And I expect that there might be some stress with my kids or with my dad. And uh, we'll see how that goes. I mean, really, when we talk about finding time to pray, that's the week that I have the hardest time finding time to pray. And when we talk about telling the truth, that's the week wherein I have the most opportunity and temptation to shade the truth. And so I, I was thinking about that. And if that's true, we should use that to our advantage, shouldn't we? So here are a few ideas for upcoming messages. Tell me what you think. Learning to live and be generous with the extreme wealth that you fall into. That might be good. How about successfully influencing people in Hawaii for Jesus? Or, or here's one for Pittsburgh. The joy of roads without potholes. Or here's another one. Staying humble in a city that wins the Stanley Cup, the World Series, and the Super Bowl all in a one-year time period. What do you think? Yeah, some of you think I just jinxed it. Anyway, um, I, I know that's what you think. Somebody told me that after last night's service. So watch for those upcoming messages. We have been looking for wisdom in this series, the wisdom that God has communicated to us in his word, the Bible, that will help us in our relationships. We have been using these messages to try to push the relationship refresh button, and we've been looking for ways to get a do-over in some of our relationships. And many of you have been very complimentary on how these messages have helped you and your relationships. And I just want to say again, in case there's anyone here that is new to impact, we can all use help in our relationships, whether it's in your marriage or in a friendship or in your family relationships. If it's one of those relationships that has you frustrated, we have all been there. We've all experienced that. I certainly don't claim to have perfect relationships. Just because Jill and I haven't had a conflict uh, this week doesn't mean that we don't have conflict. We may have one today. I don't know. We'll see. But we can help each other and we can encourage each other by seeking to use God's wisdom to help us resolve conflicts in healthy ways. Look at what these verses from Proverbs tell us about conflicts in our relationships. I'm going to add a few words to each, one, each verse to acknowledge that the problem isn't just with women or with men, but look at what it says in Proverbs 25. It is better to live in a corner of an attic than in a beautiful home with a cranky, quarrelsome woman or man. The next one from Proverbs 11. 
the fool who provokes his or her family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. Those verses talk about family conflict, but it's never fun when there is conflict. And I'm guessing most of us have at least one relationship negatively affected by conflict. There was a misunderstanding and you got angry and you said some things that you shouldn't have and the relationship has just never seemed the same. And you tried to fix it, but the way that you tried to fix it uh, actually seems to have made the conflict worse. And you might be sitting here today and you might be angry. I mean, you're really angry at your spouse or at uh, a coworker or a friend or at your parent or your child and the conflict just doesn't seem to be getting better or maybe you're not angry, you're just hurt. The conflict has wounded you deeply and you want to get past it, but it just doesn't seem to be possible. Or you're here and you're just tired. You're tired of having the same disagreement over and over and over again. Or you're tired of trying to find yet another compromise that probably won't work anyway, or you're tired of being disappointed, or you're just tired, just tired. And I hope if that describes you that this message will help all of us to hit the refresh button and deal with conflict differently. Let's look at four steps to healthy conflict resolution. And the first is this, Admit there is a problem. Admit there is a problem. Healthy conflict resolution has to begin by admitting that there's a conflict in the first place. And so I stop denying it. I admit we have a problem. And it isn't going to be a nice discussion. It isn't going to be an easy discussion where we agree this is a conflict. And for some reason, we have a hard time admitting this. You know how it goes. Someone says, you seem upset. And you go, no, I'm fine. And they say, really? Because you sure seem angry. And you go, no, I am not angry. And they say, are you sure you're not angry? And you go, how many times do I have to tell you I am not angry? Had that experience, haven't you? Look at what this verse says from Ephesians chapter 4. Stop lying to each other. Tell the truth, for we are parts of each other, and when we lie to each other, we are hurting ourselves. If you are angry, don't sin by nursing your grudge. If you are angry, quit lying to each other. Just admit it. It is okay to be angry. Jesus got angry sometimes. God got angry. There are right reasons and wrong reasons to, for getting angry. And it is possible to be angry and not sin. But the passage says clearly it is a sin to be angry and to lie about it. And it is a sin to be angry and to hold a grudge or to let that anger control you. And so when you are angry, just recognize it. Just admit it. 
And I know it seems obvious, but in order to resolve conflicts, you have to admit that there's a conflict. The second step is this, own your reaction. Own your reaction. Sometimes one of the people in the conflict is kind of forced to take that first step that we talked about of admitting that there is a problem when the other person is entering the second step. One person has recognized the problem and they're reacting and their reaction is what helps the other person admit that there's a problem. They might be clueless that there was a problem and then someone in their family (laughs) begins crying or yelling or being silent and the second person has this alarm go off. Whoop, whoop, whoop. We have a problem. Men, don't you wish it was them that were clueless to our anger more often? I mean, why is it that we are often late to the conflict? And I don't really know why we can be so clueless, but I do know this. It makes them really angry when we are. They are really angry when we are clueless to their anger. But step two is owning your reaction to the conflict. How we react can either make it a huge conflict or a minor one. Look at some of what the Bible says about this. In Proverbs 17, here's what it says. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. Sometimes the right thing to say is nothing. It's nothing. And I'm not suggesting giving the silent treatment, but I do know I get myself into all sorts of problems when I say the first thing to jump into my head. I I end up saying dumb things or sarcastic things. And as the verse says, if I keep my mouth shut, I might seem smarter. When my mouth is shut, I might seem more intelligent. Look at this verse from Proverbs 29. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. A fool just spouts off and gives full vent to their anger, but the wise person controls what they say. And that is not easy to do because we have been reacting to conflict for a long time. And we have our pattern. We have learned to react the same way many, many times, and our way of reacting is often really unhealthy. About six years ago, while preaching on anger, I gave kind of a catalog of reactions. I said, just like in sports, you give certain players nicknames, you know, the bus or big man or Jay Hay. In our conflict, some of the players could have nicknames within the conflict. Let's spend a few minutes getting to know the players in the conflict and see if you can pick out which of these nicknames might apply to you, okay? Some could be called the skunk. You always know where the skunk is. I mean, they let you know. When they're upset, they don't mind stinking up the whole place. I mean, they just kind of scream out their aggression and they fire away and everybody knows how they feel, usually including the neighbors. 
Or you might be nicknamed the volcano. When you get upset or when others get upset, you seem calm and you seem serene. And people may say that you're pretty easygoing and quiet. But one day, the internal pressure just builds up and your anger just erupts. And it isn't a pretty sight. And your friends and your family just sit around fearing the next time the relationship is decimated when your anger erupts. Some could be called the turtle. When conflict comes around, you just pull back into your shell. You withdraw. You become distant. You back out of the conversation and back out of the conflict and sometimes back out of the relationship. Or you might be called the martyr. The martyr deals with conflict by saying, you're right, it's all my fault. It's always my fault. Now, nothing ever changes. Their behavior doesn't change because they really don't believe it is their fault. They just play the martyr as a way to diffuse the current argument and to end it earlier. Or maybe you are the detour, the detour. This person in the conflict is usually a great talker. They usually talk well, and their tactic is this, and catch this, especially if you have a detour that you live with. The detour, when they understand they are losing the argument, they just take a detour. They change subjects. They bring up something else, and you start arguing about something completely different, and if they start losing that argument, no problem. You know what they do? They just take another detour. They change the subject again. Or maybe you are the collector, the collector. The collector is the person who pulls out the mental video feed from errors made in past conflicts and replays them every time there is a disagreement. Somebody told me after the last service their wife can be pretty historical in arguments. That probably means they're the collector. They, they use past problems to either justify their current actions or to further punish you during the current argument. Now, there might be others, but these are some of the common players and some of the common ways people react to conflict. But you might be wondering, why do you react the way that you do? Why do you react the way that you do? Why are you the detour? Or why are you the skunk or one of the others? And the answer is simple. You learned your reaction in the home that you grew up in. You learned it in the home that you grew up in. You have reacted that way to anger most of your life. In fact, you have reacted so long to anger in that way that now it seems automatic. When you get angry, you just automatically respond that way. And it's so automatic that if someone says to you, you know what, that's really not a healthy way to respond. You really ought to change that. You say, well, that's just me. It's just who I am. It's the way I am. And I've always been that way. But can I tell you, that's not true. That's not true. You and I were not born with certain pre-programmed responses to anger. We learned our expression of anger in our families. We learned it as young children in our family, either by patterning our responses after the way our parents or our siblings responded to anger, or 
we developed our method because it was the only way to safely survive our childhood trauma. Now, the good news about that is either way, it is a learned behavior. And the reason that that's good news is because if we learned it, we can unlearn it. We can unlearn it. No matter what age you are right now, you can unlearn the destructive patterns that you have for expressing anger. But to unlearn unhealthy patterns, I have to first own my reaction. I have to decide that I'm responsible for my action. They didn't make me mad. It's not okay that I responded that way. I am responsible for my reaction. And when I own my reaction, I may have figured out that I created a separate conflict to deal with. Sometimes the conflict happens and right in the moment I react and my reaction hasn't been good and my reaction hasn't been healthy. So now I have to admit that I have two problems. First, I have to apologize and clean up the mess that I made by reacting poorly to the conflict. That's part of owning my reaction. And then I have to deal with the original conflict and try to react in a right way, in a healthy way. And that's why, when it's possible, it's always best to plan your reaction. Sometimes I will be aware of a conflict. I'll become aware of a conflict, and I'll have time to think about it. And I can think about whether or not I have all the facts. Sometimes I have misunderstood the facts, and I have reacted to a conflict that wasn't really there. And I can think through why I feel hurt or angry or concerned. I can think of the best way to approach the person that I have the conflict with. And sometimes I can even choose the time and the place where I can deal with the conflict. So step two is to own my own reaction, to take responsibility for how I react to the problem. And the difficulty is many people never do this. They're always placing blame on someone else for not only the conflict, but for their reaction. They never own their own reaction and never work on reacting in healthy ways. And that means that the conflict never gets better. They never get past the conflict. They spend all their time admitting there's a problem and reacting to it, but they never go beyond reacting. So if you are going to deal with a conflict in a biblical way, you have to take the next step, which is work together for a solution. Work together for a solution. Many times when we're in a disagreement or an argument, especially with family members, this is true in friendships too, but especially with family members, we're working hard to win the argument. We're trying to win the argument. I mean, we're trying to make our points and shoot down their points. And we're trying to get them to admit that they're wrong and that we are obviously right. And we're trying to win. I remember a girl I dated in high school. She and I had a disagreement about something that the Bible taught. And she had grown up in a different faith background than I had. And we disagreed, and we started talking about it. We had talked about it a couple of times, and as we had this argument, this debate about it, I was a much better debater than she was. And I think I knew the Bible better than she did, and I just crushed her arguments in the debate. I mean, in our argument, I just crushed 
her logic in the debate. And for a short time, I was really, really happy that I had won the argument until the next day when I realized I'd won the argument but lost a girlfriend. I mean, I, I, I just totally won the argument and lost a girlfriend in the process. Here's the thing. When one person in a relationship has to win, that usually means the relationship loses. When one person in a relationship has to win, the relationship is what loses and is damaged. So this step is to work together. It's to try to find a solution that is a win for both of you and a win for the relationship. And this is a step that we, never, that we often never get to. We let the conflict end without finding a solution. Sometimes we argue about something for a while and then it just, the argument kind of stops. Nobody's solved anything, but we don't come to any conclusion about how to feel okay with each other again. And we need to resolve the conflict. Look again at that passage from Ephesians 4. If you are angry, don't sin by nursing your grudge. Don't let the sun go down with you still angry. Get over it quickly. For when you are angry, you give a mighty foothold to the devil. The passage teaches we shouldn't hold a grudge. And it teaches that we should resolve conflict quickly. And some of you have heard me talk about this verse at other times. But let me tell you again what this verse doesn't say. It doesn't say, don't ever go to sleep at night without resolving a conflict. That is not what this verse says. Some have taught that. Some have uh, arrogantly said, you know, we have stayed up many nights all night long until we fix the problem. Here's the problem with that logic and with doing that. In my house, I would win all the arguments. Everyone, 100% of them, and here's why. I can always outlast Jill. There will eventually come a moment when she is more concerned about sleep than she is about anything that we're arguing about. So if we do that, I win all the arguments except I really don't because they won't really be solved. The passage doesn't teach that. In fact, it seems to say not fix it before you go to sleep. It says fix it before the sun goes down. Fix it before daylight ends. The point is to fix any conflicts you have quickly. It's to fix it quickly. But it is true that arguing when you're tired isn't smart. Sometimes the best thing you can do is to agree on a time for the next day to resolve the issue. You can delay it for a time while you both get more rest and uh, a time when you can be rested and discuss things logically. And if you decide together to delay the situation to a better time, spend some time reassuring each other that you're okay in the relationship, that you care about each other, that you want to fix it, that you will work on fixing it. And don't leave the discussion worried about the relationship, but committed to finding a solution together at the right time. And if you take a break, when you come back to the discussion, give each person a chance to state their case again. Say, let's each take two minutes and uh, explain why we were upset with each other on this. And then just listen to them. Don't interrupt. Just listen. But the point is, working together to resolve the conflict should be your goal. And for that to happen, 
you have to agree on three things. Here's three things you should agree on. The first thing you should agree on is the rules for the conflict. What are going to be the ground rules for the conflict? Agree to no loud voices. Agree to no detours, no name calling, no interrupting. And that means you also agree upon a way to uh, explain to the person that you feel like the rules are being ignored. And so give each other permission that either one can say gently, you know, I think we're forgetting the rules. Do we need to take another break? Do we need to uh, pause a minute and calm down? So agree to the rules of the conflict. Secondly, agree to the topic of the conflict. This seems really simple, but make sure you're discussing the same topic. If you have ever been in one of those really angry, long arguments that ended two hours later when you figured out you were talking about two separate things, you know why this is important. Make sure you're discussing the same topic and set the agenda for your discussion in this. You may need to discuss three or four things in order to deal with the conflict, but agree together to discuss them one at a time in what order you're going to discuss them in, resolve the first one, and then move on to the others. And then lastly, agree on the answer to the conflict, the answer to the conflict. When you have discussed this, when you think that you have come up with a solution, take the time to say, just to be sure that we're hearing each other right, here's what I think we decided we were going to do about this conflict. And then you tell them what you think that you've heard. And when you're all done, um, when you've spelled out the compromises, when you've spelled out the new rules or the new boundaries, then you say, is that what you understood? And if the other person says, yeah, the conflict is resolved, good job. If they say, well, you missed this part, then you might have to discuss that longer and keep repeating it back to each other until you're sure you're on the same page. Because when that step is missed, the next time the same subject comes up, it is bigger and more explosive in your relationship than it was the first time. So... We have had the first step of admitting that there is a problem and the second step of owning our reaction and the third step of working together on a solution. There's still one step that we need to take and that is to decide on a path forward. Decide on a path forward. Too often, even when the conflict is declared resolved, there are still hard feelings. There's still a strain in the relationship. And that's because you stopped before you decided on the path forward. Here's a great verse for relationships. I really like this from Romans 15. May God who gives patience, steadiness, and encouragement help you to live in complete harmony with each other, each with the attitude of Christ toward the other. This is a great daily prayer for your family, but it's also a good one for times of conflict in any relationships. You pray for harmony. You pray for unity. You pray for patience and steadiness and encouragement, and then you pray that you personally can have the attitude of Jesus towards the people that you care about. And this prayer will help you, but let me give you two suggestions that will help you move forward in your relationship after a conflict. First, move forward by ensuring that the conflict is finished. Make sure it's finished. 
I mean, you think it is. You feel good about the discussion. I, I tend to sometimes emote all over people, and I, I'm okay, and they seem to be okay, and I think that it's finished. But you need to make sure that the conflict is finished. A church I served about 25 years ago had some leadership issues and some conflicts within the leadership, and we had a meeting. And in this meeting, about half of the elders kind of said some pretty hard and hurtful things to me, and the other half of the elders kind of said hard and hurtful things to the elders that had said hard and hurtful things to me. And um, the ground rules for the meeting were um, that I would sit quietly and listen and not really respond. I, I don't know that I'd agree to those ground rules today, but I did then. And it was a pretty ugly meeting. I mean, it was a really ugly meeting. And so I sat there quietly while these hurtful things were said about me. And then as they said hurtful things to each other. And this went on for about three hours. And at the end of three hours, they all felt better. They all felt like it had been a very productive meeting and they all felt better. But I felt worse, a lot worse. I thought some of what they said to me and about me was really unfair. And I thought some of what the elders who were defending me said to the other elders was also unfair. And I hadn't been given a chance to respond at all. So they all left the meeting feeling like everything was solved and I left feeling horrible. And so I went to each elder individually and I said, I know that you feel better after that meeting, but I don't. And here's why. Here's why. So after you think that you have worked together to find a solution, you have to decide on the path forward. And that means you have to make sure that the conflict is finished. I suggest you do that by just asking the question, are we good? Make that question a part of your relationships. Are we good? Here's usually the way that I say it. You know, I'm good with our solution and I am good with you. Are you good with me? Are we good? And the question is designed to make sure that there's no more underlying conflicts and no more underlying frustrations that are blocking the relationship. And some, sometimes one person feels better, but they have overlooked something else in the conflict or they have overlooked some hurt or confusion that they have put into the con conflict and into the other person's life and uh, the other person may have different questions or concerns. And so asking are we good and then getting an honest answer helps to not have constant uh, conflicts brewing in your marriage or your other relationship. And by the way, if the answer is yes, we are good, then that means the conflict is considered over. That means it doesn't get talked about in the next argument that you have. It doesn't get brought up again in the next fight, and there's no more punishment for the conflict. It means it's forgiven and it should be forgotten. So the rehashing and the replays end. In fact, the only way it should ever come up again is if one person says, I know I said we were good on that subject, but I had some different feelings come up and I need to talk about that again. Is that okay? And that might happen once 
or it might happen twice, but if it keeps coming up over and over again, the person either hasn't been honest when they said that they were good, or they weren't honest in sharing their feelings, or perhaps the situation is such that it might need some ongoing or professional counseling. So that's the first suggestion. Make sure that the, con that the conflict is over. The second is this, move forward by re-entering your relationship. Re-entering your relationship. And this might take some understanding. When the conflict has been intense, it may take some time for you to get back to a normal, happy relationship. Sometimes in marriage, it's healthy to take about 30 minutes of alone time to settle down and to put yourself back in a place of a happy relationship. In other relationships, it may take until you see each other the next time for it to feel normal again. But if the conflict is resolved, if you really are good with each other, get back to enjoying the relationship as quickly as you can. Sometimes, if you act the way you wish you felt, you will begin to feel the way that you're acting. If you act the way you wish you felt, you will begin feeling the way that you're acting. Now, I am not suggesting that you fake it. I am not saying that you should fake it. If you find yourself having to act for several hours or for several days, it probably means that the conflict wasn't resolved and you need to discuss it again. And I hate to say it, but in rare cases, especially in friendships or work relationships, you might have to decide that completely re-entering the relationship might not be possible. That it might not be possible to completely re-engage in the relationship. And that was ultimately what happened in that church that I talked about from 25 years ago. I could love them and I could forgive them and the uh, actual conflict really was solved, but the conflict created distance and the conflict created distrust that robbed me of my joy. And it was about three years later that I decided it was better to not continue trying to work together. And sometimes that happens in our personal friendships too. I mean, we care for each other, but the conflict has robbed us of the closeness or the joy of the friendship, and no matter how hard we try, it just doesn't seem like it's coming back. And in marriage, we have a different kind of commitment. So when we're serious about our commitment, we get the help that we need. We go to get some counseling, and we work harder to resolve the situation. But even then, even then, when the conflict has involved abuse or adultery or other breaches of the vows, sometimes successfully re-entering the relationship is difficult or maybe even impossible. But I believe with all of my heart that most relationship conflicts can be resolved if both parties are committed to healthy conflict resolution, if both parties are committed to following Jesus and using the wisdom that he has given in these four steps that we have outlined. Now, I know that there are some relationships represented here in this room that are in conflict right now. You're struggling right now with conflict, and maybe you've admitted that there is a conflict, and maybe you are ready to own your own reaction, whether it was good or bad. You're taking responsibility for that, but, 
maybe someone in the room, maybe more than one person, needs to be brave enough to say, you know what, I think we're missing some of the steps that Steve talked about today. Can we try it again? Can we give it a try to react differently and to respond and to resolve our conflicts in a healthy way? Can we work together to find a solution? Can we decide on a path forward? Can we try to really get past this conflict once and for all? I am praying that all of us will begin to use God's wisdom so that our relationships will become godly, so that we can hit that refresh button and treat each other the way that God has treated us. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, some in the room right this minute are beginning to make excuses, excuses for why their situation is different, for why their reaction was justified even if it was unhealthy, for why their relationship could never respond to these uh, parts of your wisdom. And Father, I pray right now that you would just speak into our hearts your hope, your comfort, your correction where necessary. Father, I pray that you will help us to respond to conflict as you have taught us, that we will use your wisdom, not the habits that we learned in the home we grew up in. Father, I pray that the result will be many healed relationships, many relationships that begin to see joy again instead of constant conflict. Father, I pray that uh, you will just give us the courage to take the steps we need to talk to each other, to uh, get help from uh, people at the Next Steps canopy or from others around us that we might be able to work together to find solutions for our conflicts. And Father, thank you so much that when we pushed you aside, when we were rebelling against you, when we were sinning against you, that you loved us enough to draw us near, to forgive us, and to reestablish a good relationship with us. Now, Father, would you help us to be like you? Would you help us, for those that we're in conflict with, would you help us to draw them near, to forgive them, to make possible a good relationship again? For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.